it's rough and rough. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Divulgence. My name is Jordan Vezo, and I am very excited for this episode today. Um, I have a few excellent guests, as always. So, without further ado, let's introduce them. My first guest, he hosts the Slow News Day podcast, which I personally enjoy very much, as well as co-hosts another show called Anonymous Bites Back. He writes about anarchy and opting out of the technocratic panopticon. And just like Jesus, he is a carpenter. Please help me introduce Steve Poikinen. Hey, Steve, how are you, my friend? Jordan, fantastic to be here. That was a great introduction. Jesus and I, there's a distinction you're, you're going to want to know, have different barbers. So oh, that's probably okay. the key difference. Nothing else. That assumption on my part, but okay. Well, th <laughs> thanks for being here nonetheless, my friend. I appreciate it. Cheers, man. Good to be here. My next guest is a writer, filmmaker, investigator. His new book called Global Death Cult, The Order of Nine Angles, Adam Waffen, and the Slaughter of the Innocents is available now, and I am just starting it, so I'm very excited. He also hosts an excellent podcast called William Ramsey Investigates, Please help me welcome William Ramsey. Hey, William, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me back, Jordan. Great to be with you and, and your fellow uh, attendees. Wonderful, wonderful. It's always a pleasure having you, my friend. Thanks. My third guest, he is also a writer, researcher, has numerous excellent books, including Hidden History, which I have mentioned a few times on the show, and another book I have of his is uh, Bullyocracy. He has quite a few books that I really want to check out. He has a few in the works that are coming out soon that I'm sure he'll tell us about. He also does other various projects in aim of divulging the truth, including his blog, donaldjeffries.news. Please help me welcome Donald Jeffries. Hey, Donald, how are you? Hey, Jordan. Good to be back with you. Good. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming back. So today I, I wanted to get Steve on to talk about Julian Assange and WikiLeaks because I know he's quite the expert in that topic and I thought it would be nice to grab a couple of other guys to join in on the conversation to have a few other minds on it because it has turned into quite a topic from from start to present between Julian Assange, the character, and WikiLeaks, and all the legal battles within all the different countries that have been involved. So, Steve, would you mind just kind of giving us, just for people who, for the most part, don't know who Julian Assange really is, or what WikiLeaks is necessarily, can you give a little bit of a background for those people? Yeah, absolutely. So Julian Assange is an Australian citizen to this day, and that's going to become important further down the road. And in 2006, he, he started WikiLeaks, well, according to him, because he wanted to close the gap between when whistleblowers came forward with information and the public being able to access that information process it and hopefully do something about it in, in an actionable amount of time because traditionally the the lag time and we saw it just recently with the afghanistan papers in the washington post when an outlet you know has a very juicy story or files a freedom of information act request it can take years and years and lawsuits before uh, the public ever sees word one 
in print about what they've discovered. So uh, Julian Assange, again, pioneered what he's referred to as scientific journalism going forward. And that is essentially you just take the raw data, you assemble it, <clears throat> you remove key names if it's going to compromise the life of someone, which is also going to be an important point further down the road, and then you publish it. As soon as you can verify the information, there were three things that, that Assange wanted to make sure of before WikiLeaks published. And that the information was fully vetted, verifiably accurate. WikiLeaks is the only outlet to maintain 100% accuracy rating in its publishing today. That it hadn't been printed before and, and that it was uh, of vital import to the public. And if something met those qualifications... It, it was printed in the subsequent, what, 15, 16 years, 16 years, WikiLeaks, or almost 16 years, WikiLeaks ha has published over 10 million documents, trove of diplomatic cables ever to be released in Cablegates, one of the reasons that, that he's got himself in the hot seat, but also information on Guantanamo Bay that we never would have known. WikiLeaks and Julian Assange are solely responsible for us knowing about the Trans-Pacific Partnership and, and what an absolute nightmare that was going to be for everyone involved that wasn't a, a global billionaire. And, and I think, I mean, and obviously the, the DNC leaks and, and Vault 7, the CIA's hacking tools, were just incredible. Well, I guess more recent drops, they're known for collateral murder. The video that shows in a U.S. Army Apache helicopter just laying waste to uh, unarmed Iraqi civilians. Two employees of the outlet Reuters were, were gunned down in that as well. And the Iraq and Afghan war logs, all those say the, the leaks that Chelsea Manning provided. And for all of that. The, all of the Iraq uh, war logs, the Afghan war logs, collateral murder, cable gate, Gitmo files, the only people that have ever seen the inside of a jail cell for the myriad murders at waste and fraud and abuse, Chelsea Manning and Julian Assange. And it's not an ordinary prison right now, Julian Assange, before he was in the Ecuadorian embassy for, what, six years? He's in Belmar. Seven and a half, thank you. <clears throat> Belmarsh Prison, which was made for Irish Republican <clears throat> Army members. So he's in a very intense, I think for the last two and a half years, he's been in a very intense situation as well. Yeah. I think intentionally in legal limbo too, right? That That's correct. He's essentially been without charges since, I'm going to say, September of last year. Maybe a little bit, little bit earlier than that. He was so when he was removed from the embassy, when it, rather when he was trafficked from the embassy, because that's a, a more accurate description, given that Ecuador's president, Lenny Moreta, was given a four point two billion dollar IMF loan bribe in order to give him up. They, they did. They took him to Belmarsh prison. That's where they currently keep all of their high value terror detainees. It's like a supermax. It's the UK supermax. Right. They call so, it the Guant. Yeah, they call it their Guantanamo Bay. Right. A nonviolent person too nobody with a history of violence just something he's really almost like the first or one of the only i can't think of somebody else that maybe come to mind but international political prisoners i i, I don't know if anybody else could really 
be termed as that. Would you guys well, agree with he, that? He's certainly the only the only publisher that's being held as an international political prisoner, and, and he is. I mean, that's the this is one hundred percent a politically motivated case. No, I, I can't think of another person. That, that's being held in that fact, certainly not on soil that doesn't belong to them at the behest of a country that they don't belong to. <laughs> Those are all, yeah, de definite unprecedented moves there. I mean, and even I've studied the original case that came out of Sweden, which led him to become a political prisoner through the embassy. And there's actually a really good documentary. I can't find the title of it. But these were all voluntary relationships that Assange had with women that were propagandized or twisted into the notion of rape. But then when you look at the what their definition of rape was, was him not using a condom. So it was actually kind of something you see on fake news or, or this propagandized news that is in the U.S. today where they create new terms to fulfill, I think, to fulfill really their agenda of getting somebody who is really a threat to the American. Would you agree with that? Well, oh, that, I, that's 100% right. And, and before we were sitting down to do this, I sent Jordan over. There's an interview that the UN, <coughs> excuse me, UN Special Rapporteur on Torture, Niels Melzer, gave to a Czechoslovakian magazine called Republic last year, where he talks about... Um, because he speaks fluent Swedish, talks about getting access to these documents, not only discovering that, that was it completely twisted, but there was no actual rape allegation made in, in the first place. All this woman wanted was an STD test because according to her, he had taken a condom off during sex. And she just wanted to make sure that he didn't have any, any diseases or anything. The Swedish authorities, when they realized who she was talking about, brought her back in the next day and said, no, 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 no. You have your story wrong. We have it right. This is how it went down. And it sort of just snowballed from there at uh, multiple different points. Assange's legal team and Julian Assange himself, while he was in the embassy <clears throat> over that seven and a half years, reached out to Sweden, said, come here. Talk to me in the embassy because I can't leave or guarantee me that I won't be black bagged and thrown on a plane to God knows where as soon as I touch down uh, in Sweden and I'll come talk to you. And they said, yeah, no, we're, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we, we can't make those guarantees. Yeah, he was such a huge threat. Maybe, I don't know, one of you guys, maybe Don or Steve can expand <laughs> on what really Assange represented because I think I... I think he was really a threat to the established order of multiple states. I think he was involved in something maybe you guys know more about that in Kenya, where his reporting affected the election. Do you know anything about that, Steve? Yeah, the, it wasn't just Kenya, too. I mean, just recently, Namibia had a serious political and it, I guess see at the CEO level of their their businesses too upheaval because of WikiLeaks releases called Fishrot. And then Iceland. Iceland had a huge governmental change because of WikiLeaks releases too, because of the Cablegate releases. They exposed all of the the criminal conduct in Iceland's banking system. And so they, they've been massively instrumental in terms of governmental change over the years. 
the the Cablegate releases alone. I mean, and that was the there. only thing in 2008 where the actual bankers went to jail, right? Correct. The the or at least in terms of, of the West and the people who were primarily responsible for the bubble and, and that little crippling depression that we experienced about a decade ago. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think Julian Assange represents on two fronts all that's wrong with America and the world. Number one is just as a <clears throat> someone who's attempting real journalism up to a point. Now, Julian Assange isn't perfect. For instance. He thinks he believes the official 9-11 narrative, which is ridiculous. But OK, I grant him that, you know, but you, you got to take the good with the bad. But uh, what he was doing and certainly got in extra hot water because of the DNC emails that were released and uh, reflected, obviously exposed the fact that they, they were trying to cheat Bernie Sanders out of the nomination at the behest of Hillary Clinton. And somehow in our press, which obviously they're not investigative journalists at all. They're state-controlled mouthpieces. They converted that into the Russia, Russia, Russia fan uh, fantasy. <clears throat> and Julian Assange is now in the position of all whistleblowers. Now, he's he, along with Edward Snowden and uh, Chelsea Manning, are the most high-profile whistleblowers we know. But look look at how they're uh, treated. And I don't, I don't know about Assange, but I know Snowden and Manning, public opinion polls in America, have never been kind to them. Most Americans don't, I mean, just like our institutions, most Americans don't like whistleblowers. They think they're tattletales and snitches. They would rather see the corruption than have somebody rat someone out. And I think that says something very disturbing about our society. But obviously, Assange, Assange should be lauded as a hero. He's not. And I don't know, <clears throat> maybe Steve can talk about how Amnesty International or some of these other international groups, how, how involved they've been in it. But certainly... If we had civil liberties, I'm one of the last civil libertarians in America. If we, if the ACLU was still concerned about civil liberties, which they aren't, they would be front and center on this. And the left would be obviously outraged by it, but they're not because Assange lost the left when he released those emails. He was, well, they were okay with him when he was exposing all the atrocities in Iraq and Afghanistan during the Bush years. But once he said, you know, did something and showed that he was, he wasn't partisan, he lost all supports. It's, it's very disturbing that, you know, we're, we're sitting and talking about this and realizing, and of course, then you have Donald Trump <clears throat> who could have at least done one good thing on his way out of office. I mean, he had, he had, I mean, he would have, you know, I was talking to somebody today saying, oh, he would have been so criticized. No, he actually... There's there was very little criticism that could be could be lodged against Trump if he pardoned Assange and Snowden and uh, Manning, but to the extent he can, I'm not sure. But he certainly could pardon them. He didn't. We all know their history, and that's that was typical Trump. But so I don't know what Assange's chances are. I, certainly Joe Biden is never going to pardon him. <laughs> so uh, unfortunately, I, I hope he survives. And uh, but it's it's really tragic that someone is really like I said he's not. I it said he's not my idea of a perfect journalist. I said. You know, anybody doesn't, you know, that believes the 9-11 official stories turned off at least one part of their investigative powers. But the fact that he tried to expose some wrong, he was a whistleblower and he's being punished for it tells you all you need to know. And then you talk about the bankers or anybody else. Meanwhile, all the deep state criminals roam free. The swamp wasn't drained at all. And you have some of the most high profile critics of the deep state. Like Julian Assange, uh, you see what the, the situation they're in, and it's just—it's sad, and it says something uh, very, I think, profound about where we're at as a society. Well, no, and that's that's a good point, and and to the extent that I do want to make this clear, though, Ju Julian Assange is not a whistleblower. 
and, and this is important because journalists and publishers are supposed to have like magnitudes more protections well, than under American law, right? That's the <clears throat> yeah. But he's being tried under American law. He's being tried under the Espionage Act of 1917, 17 counts not of it. In, not, I mean, as a, not under the provisions of the Constitution, Sullivan, New York Times versus Sullivan. He doesn't get those provisions because he's not an American citizen and not that's an American what they're, citizen. That's what they're claiming. But in 2019, Judge Kettle in the Ninth District ruled that WikiLeaks does deserve all of the the accordances that any other publishing outlet does that's a ninth circuit court ruling so they're gonna have to deal with that too if they do take it if it actually does go to trial here now and but that's something we can get into here, here in a minute because that trial is gonna jordan can i swear on your show you can say whatever the fuck you okay want, that trial is gonna be a shit show i didn't know i didn't know i did you know i mean no, thanks but, for asking we're we're talking about the the Eastern District of Virginia Espionage Court where he can't even Rocket present docket. A, That's a the, that sorry to interrupt, but that docket is about aligned to deep state intel as you can get. So that's yeah, why the, yeah. a lot of those cases are brought there. Sorry, they've got a ninety nine point five percent conviction rate overall, and then a one hundred percent conviction rate where it comes to espionage cases. The public's right to know is not an acceptable defense in that court. So as a publisher to go in there and say, and not be allowed to say, well, I printed the material because I'm a publisher and the public needs to know this, that that automatically shuts your case down. You know, but, and it's, it, go ahead, sir. No, and I, and I, and I think, we, you know, we need, I mean, we can quibble if he's technically a whistleblower or not, but he's serving the same, uh, he's being treated as all, whistleblowers, whatever you consider a whistleblower are, people and by our institutions, the power structure, which is utterly corrupt, anyone who tries to expose any part of that corruption to the extent that it, you know, it, it you know, illustrates what people with any kind of power are doing is met with this kind of, in his case, extreme measures. But in his, and you're right, he was a journalist, so he was attempting and obviously journalists and but look at look at the United States. Our state-controlled media, I don't see anyone up on it. He, he gets bad press generally. Oh, I yeah. mean, his, his fellow journalists should be, I mean, they should, this guy should be an icon to them. Like, this is, wow, this is, this is Woodward and Bernstein on steroids. This is what yeah, you look man. at in investigation. <laughs> but he's not. And uh, they, because we know they don't want to do any kind of investigative journalism because they're, they're mouthpieces for the state. They, the only difference between the media that we have in America today and TASS and Pravda at the height of the Soviet Union is that the Soviet citizens were smart enough to understand it was state-controlled media. A majority of Americans actually think that you know people on CNN and MSNBC are some kind of journalists. They actually believe that they're. Or Fox News. Don't forget Fox. Well, yeah, Fox News right, as yeah. well. But but there are different segments of the population. You're right, but very few people. That, uh, but it's 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 a very sad situation. But he should be celebrated. He said, I don't know. Maybe you can tell us to the extent what organizations have ever come to his defense as far as Amnesty International or I don't know what the, the biggest international organizations would be for press freedom or whatever. I don't know that any have. I mean, the guy just seems pretty isolated except for like, you know, Pamela Anderson or something. I don't, I don't know who else is springing to his defense. 
They've, I don't know what's up with my camera right now. They've, they've been pretty, international press freedom organizations have been pretty tepid. Organizations like Amnesty and the ACLU have been pretty tepid. We've been lobbying the ACLU for years now just to admit that he's a prisoner of conscience. My friend Garland Nixon just resigned from the board of the ACLU a couple of weeks ago. This was over something different, but he had been like one of the holdouts there screaming about Julian Assange, a couple other cases the entire time. I mean, these are as as much as the corporate press is captured, Don, these organizations are just as captured And, and they've become. I don't I I guess distractions or sort of something that you can look at and be like, well, there's still organizations that have always been fighting the good fight. So they're there in the trenches doing the good work. And then you can go about the rest of your day knowing that the ACLU or Amnesty is hard at work on your behalf while they're, you know, hanging out and and sucking down canapes at really doing anything but the work of trying to lobby on behalf of political prisoners. There, the European Parliament has had significantly more movement at the, I guess, elected leader level than the U.S. certainly has, because we just had Tulsi Gabbard. And then every once in a while, Thomas Massey or Justin Amash would say something. But that was about it. And over in Europe, substantially more elected officials have made public statements. There's, you know, the the European Parliamentarian Union um, or Association, rather, has filed a bunch of official paperwork talking about it. The UK, members of the UK Parliament went to Belmarsh a couple of months ago. But this is the US's problem. And as you guys have already noted, the Biden administration is perfectly happy letting this man continue to be tortured and rot away in Belmarsh. Sure. Right. And you, I think you mentioned that guy, Meltzer. Didn't he make that statement out of the UN that what's happening to Julian Assange fits like psychological torture definitions, deprivation, insecurity, all kinds of stuff, right? Wasn't that yeah. in the meltdown? In, in May of 2019, Melzer and two physicians went to Belmarsh and spent some time assessing Julian Assange and came out and, and said, yeah, he shows all of the signs of prolonged psychological torture and is starting to show signs of physical torture. This is also when, where they started to make the determination that if he was extradited, he would have no problems ending his own life, and which is one of the reasons they didn't extradite in the first place. But the U.S., of course, is appealing that, and they go back in a, a month from today or a month from tomorrow, October 27th, is when they go back for the appeal hearing. We'll be in Washington, D.C., holding some protests and events over that. But but, uh, but it's but it's tough, you know, you know, because you're you know you, theoretically. You should have had a, a sympathetic ear in Trump, but you know Trump let everyone down on that, like he did everything else. You should have you should have more than a couple of people in Congress. You should have high profile press leaders. But as I said, and public opinion polls, I don't know what the latest were, but I know the ones I've seen for Assange, Snowden, and Manning, all three, especially I think Manning never, you know, because you had the transgender thing, which you know they lose some people even there just because of that. But they've never, you know, I mean, it should be like ninety nine percent of the people saying this is an outrage. For all of them, but it's not yeah. the majority of people, and so that—that's the problem—is because we're, we're trying to convince a public that doesn't agree with us. 
And I, I've said before that you know Assange represents what we're supposed to support in terms of the Bill of Rights and freedom of the press. But certainly with the woke Democrats now, it's pretty obvious they don't believe in freedom of speech and they don't believe in the First Amendment. So why would they support someone like Julian Assange? Look at the way they've treated the murder of Seth Rich, which is directly related to that. Julian Assange all but named him as his source. And you, and when Sean Hannity, of all people, <clears throat> tried to do a half-assed investigation one night on the Seth Rich murder, he almost lost his, the, his Seth Rich's parents threatened to sue him, and they, they'll threaten to sue anybody else, I guess, because they, obviously they, they don't want to know who killed their son. And if you can figure that one out and there's any kind of innocent explanation, let me know. But that's, that's the problem that we face. All these things are, are interrelated and, and tied. So if you do something, something like the Seth Rich murder is actually investigated, the dominoes begin to fall. Because then you have the connections going back, and, and, and then you, you get to the point, well, wait a minute, you know, this is even the American sheeple, a lot of them will say, well, okay, this is maybe they'll examine the fact that they supported throwing someone like this in prison. But it's, it's disgraceful. I admire you, Steve, for yeah. continuing well, to fight for this, but I, I don't know who you're fighting to because, Ted, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know who you're going to lobby to because there's <laughs> who's going to have a receptive ear? I don't know who it would be. Tulsi right, Gabbard. Well, that is. Right. Well, Don, if they're off, if the American people are captured by the corporate media. How would they know anything different? Right. Right. So right. wherever it comes out, they would not know how beneficial the what was released, at least to the Americans, were to them, which are the Podesta emails, Series 7, which showed the CIA had backdoors in almost every technology at the time of its release. And so the Americans should know that they're being in a surveillance state on the outside. It looks like some you know, so many different choices, but somebody has a backdoor to all your information and they're collecting it. It's so important. And it's it's a shame that the Americans don't realize it. It is. And even, even something like Pizzagate that, you know, they try to discredit or whatever, that was born not out of a, a pizza place, Comet, uh, a Comet Ping Pong or whatever. It was born out of those emails, the Podesta emails, which, you know, showed all the tons of absurd references to pizza and pasta, which, you know, clearly... Or some kind of code words. It, it made no sense. Oh, Look at it. Patient sauce, the whole bit. There was yes. all kinds of crazy want, stuff. Come over and have pizza yeah, for half I mean, an hour. You know, Pizza-related map. Spirit cooking. I mean, come yes, on. You're yes, blurring yes. blood on wall with all the stuff. Salima yes. was in there. There was all kinds of stuff. Enough of us knew at the time. But I think through history now, through the lens of history, a half decade removed, people can look at that and go, Pizza Kate was clearly the distraction from the real crime, which is pedogate, was the undeniable fact that there is a child rape trafficking ring that runs through the halls of Congress and the halls of power, not just in the United States, but internationally. We've got, I mean, when Robert Maxwell gets a state funeral in Israel and Prince Andrew gets off absolutely scot-free and they're all connected to this child sex trafficking ring, you know, where Donald Trump has got way too many connections, not just with Epstein, but with Roy Cohn and with Les Wexner and all of, you know, it just it, Maxwell, it, too. There's pictures of him with Robert Maxwell. Yeah. 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 yeah it's just so. And in as far as like it, Trump doing anything for Julian Assange, this is something that I was screaming about the entire time. And it fell on deaf ears in every circle. And that is we knew in 2020, we knew in February of 2020 that Arthur Schwartz and, oh, God, he was the ambassador to Germany. 
he got a cush position in the I, the name will come to me it will blurt it out randomly in the broadcast but they were back channeling the entire time that trump was on the campaign trail going we love the wikileaks i like have you seen the wikileaks can't get enough wikileaks give me more WikiLeaks. where's WikiLeaks? Exactly. trump's doing that meanwhile he's sending people to go back channel with ecuador and the cia is running the head or the i'm sorry Former CIA officer is current head of security at the Sands, Sheldon Adelson's casino. He's lobbying the the people who provided security at the Ecuadorian embassy, a company called UC Global. A guy named David Morales is the president of it. He's being hired effectively by the Trump administration, the CIA, to spy on Julian Assange, to provide a direct video and audio feed to the CIA specifically for Assange's meetings with his attorneys. This is all, by the way, there's a full archive of this <clears throat> in, at the grayzone.com. It's the UC Global Archives. <clears throat> they, they've done some amazing work collating all this. <clears throat> but so from the time that Trump got in on, there was live video feed, live audio feed in the Ecuadorian embassy going to the CIA. David Morales was meeting with Adelson's head of security, who has an unpronounceable Israeli name that I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's in the archives. Um, meeting with him at the Sands. <laughs> Adelson, one of uh, Trump's top donors and also rabid Zionist. Uh, that necessarily matters here for the purposes of the conversation. Just creepy. Uh, I mean, this is Trump's entire administration, regardless of what his own opinion was, not that we'll ever really know it, but his entire administration had a vested interest in advancing every neocon agenda that's been put forth since the dawn of neocon time. And Julian Assange represents a direct and immediate threat to that. So he, there's no way that even if Trump wanted to, which I sincerely doubt, but even if he wanted to, he was never going to be able to, to pardon Assange. Right, but don't you think it's on how much of Trump's win, whatever the cause was, how much of his win was related to the Podesta releases by WikiLeaks? You know, I, you're you're asking a guy who doesn't believe that we've had free and fair elections in my entire lifetime. I don't either. So I don't, I, I can't, I... To the extent to that legitimately did it, I don't know, man. I don't think we could be where we are right now with the corona measures and all that stuff if Donald Trump hadn't have been president. If Hillary would have been president during the last four years, riots would have made BLM look like a freaking bake sale, yeah. you know? So, I, I mean, but in terms of public opinion, name a politician more hated than Hillary Clinton. I can't. Universally. Right. I mean, so in 2016, I, OK, if you said, look, she cheated Bernie, most people went, yeah, I know. Or, or OK, cool. You know, I figured, I, you know, she's Hillary Clinton. So the the effect that it had on the election, I don't I, I don't know. I mean, that's like saying James Comey through the election and not the Hillary Clinton, the Hillary Clinton campaign. I'd know. agree with you. I would say we don't know what happened with the technology or anything like that, but definitely, at least in the alternate media, the Podesta emails were all over. People were talking about them. Oh, well, they were huge. Yeah. I mean, that act, but that activated the, the part of the right that was already active. 
Do you know what I mean? Yes. That's already the hyperactive part of the right. And those were the people that were going to go out in the street no matter what anyway. And they were the people that showed up at the biggest two Second Amendment rally ever in, in 2019. They're also the people that got deactivated with the QAnon PSYOP. You know, so I mean, it's really it's 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 just hard to say, you know, I want and I like I'm an advocate of the organization. I want to say like, yes, WikiLeaks, you know, completely changed the course of the election and all of that kind of stuff. But I don't really know. Don't. Well, I mean, you could almost uh, see a similarity between WikiLeaks leaking and then QAnon with its kind of same play. I think the first QAnon leak was. Hillary Clinton will be arrested next week or something like that, but you never get to <laughs> yeah. right? Was wow. it? But I, I would say there's something similar going on where there's kind of a technology background where people are supposedly putting information. I think with a QAnon oh, is complete, complete baloney, but you can see somebody kind of riffing off WikiLeaks. But, 100%. Uh, to the point where they asked a couple of the unmasked members of Anonymous from back in the day to be a part of the QAnon PSYOP. I did, Jordan said at the top of the show, I co-host a show called Anonymous Bites Back, <clears throat> and that's with uh, several unmasked you know, members of Anonymous and a couple of people that have remained behind the mask and don't use their real name. <clears throat> and uh, I, we've had a couple of episodes where one of my co-hosts has just gone in for hours disclosing all of the machinations of the QAnon PSYOP, drop names, Twitter accounts, all that stuff. And, and, and of course, we got the channel yank. We had to start up an entirely new channel and all that kind of But it, it was directly pulling from the, the sort of feel of, you know, 2010 to 2015 Anonymous when they tried to roll out the QAnon thing. But it was more to be the other side of Russiagate. So that all all of the people who would have been active during a Hillary Clinton administration were quiet during a Trump administration. And all of the people that would have been totally pleased with the Hillary Clinton thing were rabid, brain-broken, maniacal hyenas on meth. We're pissed at the left right now, gentlemen. They, they, they've just, like... So I, I don't know. I I am not a leftist myself, but the network that I'm on and a lot of the people that I know come from that space and friends with a lot of comedians. I've been in California for a long time. A lot of lefties and watching their brains dissolve into a gelatinous goo over the last seven to 10 years has just been hard. <laughs> oh, it's hard. Well, it's hard, man. I, I come from the left and I still consider myself a classical liberal, but uh, a lot of my friends, they're good people on the left. Cindy Sheehan's my friend, the international peace mom. She's great. She doesn't accept the world. Uh, Cynthia McKinney, who they ran out of Congress, is wonderful. You have you know, Naomi Wolf, another one of my friends who's, who's very good. These people are all good, but the problem is they're frozen out by the woke yeah. left. They're not going to let those people, and that's why you don't have a single Democrat anywhere in Congress that's decent at all. And, you know, as recently, you, you used to have people like Dennis Kucinich not that long ago that were, that were good on most issues. So you, uh, most of the people I talk to are the people on the far right. And then you get into arguments about Trump because they, I was in an argument today with the guy. He was, cause he saw me on David Knight show a couple of weeks ago. And he was, you know, saying, why do you and David Knight just keep bad mouthing Trump? And it's like, he's, he's, he's still has because faith he's a vaccine salesman and a real yeah. estate settlement broker for Israel. I, I don't I, know. I, why do you like him? Yeah. I, <laughs> I said, you know, this, I mean, how do you, 
at this point, but they've they suspended their belief because this is this is the, what they see as the only hope. And maybe I mean he's not any hope, but there is nobody else. So I guess they're putting all their you know he's the loyal opposition, and he's the Goldstein from 1984. I, that's what I've called him since he came. He was Trump Goldstein, and the people that hate him are engaging in a 24/7 hate, not a two minutes hate. And the other side is uh, remaining loyal to him regardless. Because I was talking to this guy about the vaccine and stuff, and I said, well, you know, what do you, you know, because he's not going to get vaccinated. I'm not going to get vaccinated. I said, well, but, you know, Trump is telling people he's taking credit for this. No, I don't like that. Why, do they, why does David and I call it the Trump vaccine? It's like, because he's claiming credit for it. You know, he, he's, he is. But if they, if they are still loyal to Trump, I mean, they're not as quite as bad as the other side. But the problem is you, those are the people that you have to try to be associated with and make connections with because the other side is hopeless. Outside of the few people I mentioned, but well, if you're on anything, you know, I'm sorry to cut you off. But I can tell you from from being inside on the steering committee of a couple of, of large U.S. based Assange groups that, like, when all of the mandate talk was starting to come in, and they all fell in line with it, hook, line, and sinker. Like a handful of us just had to leave because we're like, look, we can't work with people who would willingly put us on the cattle cars. I don't know. If you really thought this all the way through, but you're advocating on behalf of Julian Assange, a nonpartisan, if anything, like the only political party Assange ever endorsed was Iceland's Pirate Party and New Zealand's Internet Party. I think Assange said he didn't like Trump or Hillary, right? Didn't he say there was yeah. like a choice between different Cholera sexually transmitted? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Cholera and gonorrhea was the choice <laughs> for Julian Assange. And, and again, I mean, obviously, this is a woman in Hillary Clinton who called for Julian's assassination. He had no yeah, right. Of drone like, strike, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, if, if you, if a world leader had casually threatened to assassinate you, you would definitely pay attention to that, and that would probably be so. Especially if you're you confined to a room and a half in a building that you can't leave. <laughs> Just to follow up on that point, was it, there was a rumor that Assange was poisoned? Did you ever hear? Was there any substance, substantive truth to that allegation? Do you know? So there, there are a number of different stories. A couple of them came out today, as a matter of fact, about the Trump administration's assassination plots for Julian. But yeah, absolutely, yeah, there was a plot to poison him in the embassy, and there so was a plot oh, to, wow. and there was also a plot to break in and make it look like it was a robbery gone wrong. Like people had just decided to break into the embassy and accidentally wandered into Julian Assange's room. And oh. Cassandra Fairbanks, the journalist, was keeping a vigil outside of the embassy for like a month, happened to be up and talking to people while she saw a couple of folks trying to go around through the back door, raised hell about it, and got enough people who weren't in on this thing on the scene and that managed to get broke up because too many people, too many cops who weren't privy to, to the operation showed up and asked questions. So there's just been multiple operations against the guy of one reason or another. I mean, the whole thing about him being a rapist is absolutely transparently false. When you look at the allegations, it's complete baloney. And that's probably part of the psychological operation to diminish his sure. impact. Is call, I mean, that's the well, whole WikiLeaks thing. Rapist, published yeah. it in the global intelligence files. 
they published the plan. There's a the chief like strategy operations officer for Stratfor said, you know, move him from country to country, keep him tied up in court for 25 years, go after all of his assets, go after everyone who's worked for the organization. And this was in 2010. This was the blueprint to go after WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks themselves published that email and then had to walk around every day waiting for it to happen. And, and it essentially has. Ray McGovern, who's a good friend of mine, pointed out that move him from place to place works just as well with move him from court venue to court venue. And did you know anything about the story? I think it was in 2016 where one of the high-end lawyers of a lot of people around WikiLeaks have met unfortunate ends. I think one person died of cancer. But wasn't there one guy who like fell in front of a train in uh, London or something like that? Yeah, and, and there's been a number of other incidents with people who have been part of Assange's legal team where they've had their offices broken into, but at least one of their attorneys has wound up dead. And then Michael Ratner, who was also a good friend of Julian Assange's, had also died. Constitutional lawyer, yeah. Really well-known yeah. constitutional lawyer, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's In fact, it's rumored, and there's been some quiet confirmation that Michael's wife, Ellen, was one of the couriers for the flash drive that contained the DNC leaks that got right. a, a pass off from Seth Rich. It, it's oh, it, was his, it was his sister, right? Wasn't it Ratner's sister was talking about that story that she confirmed? I think that, Is that his sister? Rich, yeah. Ellen? I'm, okay. I'm pretty sure. I may be wrong. I have to go back and look. But I think his sister said... She was an important part of the Seth Rich and can confirm that story. Yeah, but these, these guys a... have been litigating each other against Bukowski. I can't remember his name, but all yeah. these guys around the whole Seth Rich have been. So I had Ty Clevenger, Ed Bukowski's lawyer, Bukowski, on my show, right. and I wow. talked to him for a good couple of hours because he's the guy that has filed every single Freedom of Information Act request on Seth Rich. It's because of Ty that we know that the FBI had Seth Rich's laptop. And it, it really does amaze me that that story was allowed to die. Like, I, in fact, I'm, I'm starting an entirely new podcast here in a couple of weeks called Memory Hold just to focus on stories that went by the wayside that should have ended it's the predator class. Great idea, dude. Great idea. Great, yeah. Love that. I, I will be listening. I will be listening to that for sure. Yeah, agreed. I'm, re I'm really excited about it and I'm going to do it PG 13. I'm going to make it as accessible as humanly possible. And good, yeah. you know, uh, just because my other shows are, are not, <laughs> but there's, I mean, it kind of goes to Sanj, Seth rich and this Bukowski guy. And then there were two like Republican operatives who had some kind of fake, like, re reveal from an insider that could prove anything that was a reveal of nothingness. I, there's, yeah, they there, tried I mean, there's to just Project so much around Veritas this wiki. wrapped up in that, too. Say that again? They tried to get Project Veritas roped oh, into that. Oh, really? Wow, I didn't know that. So they're probably—I <laughs> would tell you, man, that the guy who runs Project Veritas is going to be the next Assange, honest to God. Some, there's going to be a big and very forceful— if Move, he, just like if, against Assange, against if guy. James O'Keefe ever too. drops his partisan nonsense, I agree. Yeah. If you know, if he goes, okay, look, we've we've built the conservatives for long enough. Let's, and I think with this latest HHS stuff and the the FDA whistleblower, 
I think they might be starting to get out of that purely partisan mindset. And that's my hope for them because the, the redemption arc of project Veritas from dodgy abortion video to now has been phenomenal. I I really do like their, their work has been great the last few years. It has been, but but again, they're, they're demonized to the mainstream media that recoils at any kind of investigative journalism. You saw what happened to another one of my friends, uh, Cheryl Atkinson, was one of yeah. the last mainstream media reporters that, you know, she lost her job at CBS for pointing out that the WHO lied about the swine flu numbers back in 2009. Very familiar to what we've seen in, during this pandemic, the exact same kind of thing, where they wildly exaggerated them. She was fired. She's been on my show a couple of times, and she's, uh, again, she's up to a certain point. I mean, she's the, the, these, at least they'll do some work. You know, I don't, I don't think I can talk to her about 9-11 truth or JFK or anything like that. I don't know. Maybe I can, but I haven't. But that's the best you're going to get. But the rest of the media recoils at things. They hate Project Veritas, especially because, as you say, they've been partisan. So when they go after a sacred cow like Planned Parenthood, I mean, the woke left, that's like, you know, back in the Middle Ages attacking the Pope or something. I mean, they, they love the, you know, this Planned Parenthood is their, is their you know, idea of perfection. So they're not going to, they don't care what they, you know, discover. They could literally have had people, you know, they, 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 you know at, a, at a black mass or something, literally holding up a baby or something, and it wouldn't have mattered to people. So uh, unfortunately, we're just in a situation where the people we have to reach, you know, we have to wake them up to all these things because the people on the other side are hopeless. You can certainly what's been going on for the last year and a half reveals that. I knew we were outnumbered before. I just had no idea until the mass started coming on and all this, that we were at this outnumbered by this much. It's, it's, we have a daunting task ahead of us to try to try to even do anything. I would push back just a little bit on that. And and it's only because I, I see like not just pockets of resistance, but, but I, I do, I've done a lot of traveling. I've traveled the entire time that there were lockdowns and all that kind of stuff and never let any of that stop me. And, and more often than not, People are like putting the stupid face diaper on or whatever. They're they're doing it just because it's easier than getting yelled at by a store clerk who has no real power but that job. And they don't want the they don't want the jab. They don't want the mandates. They're just afraid to to step forward because they see what happens to us when we do it. But somebody broke it down to me like this: like there's 20% of the people that really believe that these mRNA gene therapy drugs are are beneficial and do exactly what the marketing says. 20% of us who absolutely don't, about 60% in the middle, who are just trying to keep their freaking heads down. And it's a matter of allowing them to to not become afraid. Like we've got to we've got to push for it, but if we push too hard, we're going to push them over to that other 20%. But as soon as they stop being afraid, then they can step forward, which is so the the shit end of the stick, because I've never seen a fear propaganda campaign like this one, uh, nor have I ever read about one. And uh, this is I mean, this is phenomenal in terms of scope and money and bodies on the ground employed to push a narrative. It was wild. And I think that we'd be better off if we had an out-of-prison Julian Assange at the helm of WikiLeaks. I agree. What what how has WikiLeaks changed since, I mean, Assange, what, went into the Ecuadorian embassy in, what, 2013? 
Is that right? So yeah. or twenty. So how? I mean, how has that whole WikiLeaks changed since he's been in prison in the UK? It seems like their reporting and is kind of not been as as uh, so, prominent as it used to be. Is that correct? The a you are one hundred percent right. And the downside of making your publisher like one hundred percent of the of the entity is that if that person ever gets taken off the table, then the outlet itself suffers tremendously. And this is a decision that Julian Assange made for good or ill, you know, seems to be ill now, but where he knew the nature of the work they were going to do. He knew what the risks were, so he tried to assume all of them himself. And the result of that is by him being taken off the table, the publication has suffered tremendously. They did publish the OPCW leaks, which proved that the chemical attack in Duma in uh, 2018 was staged in order to blame Bashar al-Assad and continue a war in Syria for a pipeline, essentially. And then they published the fish rot, which again, the Namibian government and a number of their export, import, export businesses completely went down over that. But that's really it since Vault 7 in the CIA suite, hacking suite. So do you think that because Julian Assange is inaccessible, some of the other whistleblowers may be disincentivized or afraid? Okay, so the, so I, it, I, I do, because I, I don't think that the, the current editor, Christian Hansen, is a bad journalist or publisher. You know, I don't think he makes bad editorial decisions. The OPCW leaks were fantastic. Fishrot was successful because it brought down a corrupt government. You know, so it, in terms of what he's done at the helm, they've been good choices. But I think that what they've had to pick from has been uh, almost non-existent because of the lack of Julian Assange. So it's that because he made himself the face of it and, and made inextricably Julian Assange's WikiLeaks. And that's how the public sees it, and that's how the whistleblowers are going to see it. Without Julian Assange, there is no WikiLeaks, even if there is one. So those who wanted him taken out succeeded in, in diminishing its impact by just going after him. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's other kind of independent journal. What is it? Joe Laurie? I can't remember what the group he's with. Consortium News. Consortium does a really good job. Yeah, it was um, Robert Perry's outlet. Robert Perry, yeah. And he was kind of like Atkinson, too, because I think he worked for Time, and he was like, hey, this is a bunch of baloney. I can't publish this, or I'm being spiked. Tons of, yeah, back in the day, tons of in the articles got spiked. Yeah, no, way back. He unfortunately passed away very recently, and much like uh, the head of anti-war. I can't remember his name. Justin, Justin Raimondo. Justin Raimondo, yeah. Yeah, he was a yeah, great one, too. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a lost dude. Although Horton is just, Scott Horton's doing a wonderful job at, at anti-war. Yeah. I listen to his show on uh, podcast all the time, so he does a great job. You're right. So there's still some guys out there trying to get the information, really, what, what I was trying to say. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, the, the Gray Zone has published some good work. Max Blumenthal has done some good stuff over there. Local Leaks. Is it DC leaks? It might be DC leaks. I think so. That was kind of yeah. like a corollary to WikiLeaks. Yeah, I remember DC leaks. Um, and then there was another one. There's another. Oh God, it's uh, Emma Best's outlet. And Barrett Brown's still running around when he's not junked out. Uh, and Project PM is still operational. There's a thing called Project Schwartz, 
We're just trying to become a, a storehouse of banned information or information that was removed from the internet but can still be found on Internet Archive in memory of Aaron Schwartz. You know, there's things that are going, but certainly not at the level or with the impact that WikiLeaks at its full operating capability was. Yeah, no, it's a shame. No, and I mean, let's let's be honest. And we've talked about it throughout the show. The mainstream media isn't incentivized to do any actual journalism, right. which is why we're all in independent media in the first place. But no independent doubt. media in and of itself, especially in the political sphere, has failed at supporting Julian Assange. I mean, my, my co-host was sending super chats to people back in September of last year when it was the witness portion uh, of his case, just to be like, hey, it's the biggest press freedom trial in history. Do you think you could cover it? You know, you're, this is your 17th video on Joe Biden today. We get it. You know, you're going to kick around Elizabeth Warren for another month? She's an idiot. You know, why are we doing this? There, There's something important going on. But no, I mean, it's, it, it is. It's wild. There, uh, and there's no incentive in independent media outside of like the stuff that project veritas is doing or a handful of other outlets that that print you know leaks or things of that nature to go and get a story it's everybody sitting at home having a react channel and and calling it like news you know but they're just reacting to something that happens in the corporate media and then telling their fans about it okay that's cool but that's not news I know I've said that reacting to the corporate media is actually giving them validity. So it's like the worst thing you could ever do is even just say Fox News said this or MSNBC because you you might as well be quoting Weekly World News or something about JFK with a third head coming out of his back because it's almost all BS and just a waste of time. No, and you're I mean that's what but that's the because so much of news news so much of media in and of itself is, is an intelligence controlled operation you go, yeah. you've got <clears throat> you've got the corporate media and then you've got the independent media which really exists like a degree or two away from the corporate media that reinforces those narratives by highlighting them and so everybody has the same show where they'll run a clip of like Nancy Pelosi talking and they'll wag their finger at her and then they'll run a clip of Rachel Maddow or Sean Hannity or some talking about that and they'll wag their finger at that and they'll tell you that they're giving it to you straight because they're not the corporate guy. And that's it. That's the show. Wait, I, I don't know. I mean... Well, how much of do you think the pressure that's put on WikiLeaks and Julian Assange is by the whatever deep state intel organizations seeing a competitor and trying to take I, I I don't know if I can actually speak to that with any kind of accuracy. I mean, I know people that have been, you know, like ran off the road and stuff like that because of their reporting. I know people who have been kidnapped and stuff like that because of, of what they, but that's really few and far between. What, what we get is the chilling effect that Daniel Ellsberg was talking about a few years ago when Julian Assange got arrested. You don't even have to, to actively threaten 
you just have to remove a couple of the key players and we can all point to an emaciated or, you know, Julian Assange being dragged out of the embassy looking like a fucking garden gnome, you know, because mm-hmm. they took away his, his, his shaving kit for the three weeks prior. Like that's something we found out in the UC global archives as well. But you see that and you go, Oh, that could be me if I step out of line. And everybody knows I'm uh, Tarek Haddad has become a, a good friend of mine. He quit Newsweek in 2019 because they wouldn't let him report on the OPCW leaks because it was a, a narrative that painted Bashar al-Assad as something maybe different than the world's most brutal dictator. Right. right. And, and it didn't, you know, it didn't justify the, the military action there. So Tarek quit out of frustration. But what he said was, you there's hyper compartmentalization in the corporate media where you get an assignment you have x amount of hours to complete the assignment and then you get your next assignment and that's just you've got a list of sources from in his case newsweek that you call that are always available to give you a quote and you get it out before your deadline and that's it you know and you don't even process what you're doing you don't think about it because you haven't been given time to think about it you just crank the words out and you move on and that's what they've done with the corporate business model is made it so assembly line and soulless that you don't get the you don't get the opportunity to to foster the atmosphere to encourage legitimate investigative journalism and you can see that. You can see all these guys kind of getting away. For Glenn Greenwald, Taibbi are going to Substack. They're getting away from even. I'm at Substack. Suppose, too. That's where I write. Oh, well, there you go. Even Don yeah. Jeffries. So he's in that in that group too. It's a good <laughs> group right. to be with. But you can see that movement away from even. The Intercept was supposed to be an edgy journalistic, and they did great reporting on certain subjects. But I think that even among those journalists, the self censorship that's put on when you see people like Assange is very powerful because the consequences are really can be very profound i mean 175 years you know and and 17 espionage act violations and here's the thing that that i i know i know that like a lot of journalists just kind of get either overwhelmed or won't go anywhere near the story but this is something critical the 18th charge against julian assange is a computer fraud and abuse act charge Computer Fraud and Abuse Act was written after Congress watched the movie War Games and got scared and then decided they were going to make the laws that regulate how we behave on the Internet based on their fear after watching War Games. So what that charge will do is criminalize investigative journalism going forward for all of us. Like It's basically off the table for everyone in corporate media. But nobody else will have a chance. Well, that's, because... that's what they used for Aaron Swartz, and that's what they used uh, for Ross Albrecht. Yep. People like that. Someone else that, that Trump could have pardoned, by the way. But yeah, I mean, someone it's, else it's... the intercept burned while yeah. we're at it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 we, you know, we have to be, you know, I guess this, we are the media. I mean, this is it. We're, we're talking about this. Nobody else is, ta- these are the kind of platforms we have to use, and we have to hope that. Somehow we can start attracting more people. And uh, even though with the social media uh, censorship and the way, you know, when I was uh, up until last year, I, I was going on uh, a lot of the biggest, the, you know, we did like something like SGT report. And these were all right wing QAnon type things, but they were the biggest platforms that would have me. 
And mm. you know, he had almost a million subscribers before they shut him down. There were others like that that had hundreds of thousands <laughs> of subscribers. So my books would go up in sales, you know, and other than going to coast to coast, that was, a, you know, the next biggest platform I could get. And they got rid of all this. They're all gone. And, you know, that's, that was incredible that they were able to do that. And there was so little backlash. And of course, again, the mainstream media Numbers like the internet, so they cheered it on. Oh, they're conspiracy theories. It's disinformation. It's it's well, and and when they broke it down to the public, it was so hyper politicized that that even if you you know uh, just tangentially or peripherally supports free speech, support the concept of it, that stops when it's somebody of the political party you don't like. Right. So if you can hold up the head of like an Alex Jones for, you know, yes. and be like, oh, we got the bad guy, well, they you know, him, then, yep, that's, yep. then censorship's okay. They don't tell you about the, the 10,000 pro-Palestinian and pro-like Iranian peace Facebook pages that got taken out when, when they took out Alex Jones. They don't tell you about, you know, uh, all of the like, quote unquote, lefty channels that got taken out when they took out Alex Jones. They just, you know, show you Alex Jones's head. Not that Alex Jones got taken out. He's got 10 and a half million subscribers on Infowars.com. He's doing OK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. It's like the three card money of the ruling elite. Hey, put up Alex Jones and then we can get rid of all this other riffraff too. nobody will ever mention or know about. They'll never have a voice. So they're they're fairly they're pretty astute about that stuff. Yeah, well, they they took all those people out, and that was that was the, the dirty secret. Is again, you know, I I would love to uh, I, I would love to start like a a classical liberal left wing populist type of uh, radio network, but because there's there's nothing out there other than Jimmy Dore, he's the closest thing on the internet to an honest leftist. Though otherwise, it was dominated utterly by right wing. And especially QAnon, the, the ones that had the biggest bases were all Q, like I would go on there yep. and I, I was always, you know, I'm a Trump agnostic. I said, there's, you know, the smallest minority group in the world, you know, I, I would just kind of say, but they hated anything I said critical about them. And, and those videos yeah. on YouTube would get thousands of comments. So I'd be, you know, trolling through there just to see, you know, to see what uh, they had said. And invariably, if I said anything and they would take everything out of context and that I, you know, that I, you know, somehow I, I, you know, criticized their orange savior. And it, it was, it was, it was very sad, but that they're not there now. So where do you go? I mean, we, the, the platforms are, they're much smaller platforms are still available with anything, <coughs> anything like this platform. Anything, if you get big enough and you're talking about these kind of subjects, they're going to come after you. Yeah. I mean, there are people are moving to Rockfin. I think Doors on Rockfin now. Yes. So. I'm, one of my shows yeah. on Rockfin. Rockfin yeah, is Do you know how long we had to yell? Uh, because I, 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 the network that I'm a part of is the Mikasa Sukasa network at Nico Houses. And Nico was one of the first people on Rockfin. And had, you know, been probably lit up basically like beating me over the head to get on Rockfin back in early 2019. And I did in November of 2019 and i love it i do it's a fantastic yeah, platform yeah. i really really like it but i mean getting jimmy to go out of his comfort zone is a Julian. Yeah. yeah he 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 likes his and you know what you're right he he's about the closest thing you're ever going to get to an honest yeah. leftist especially at that he's got like a million subscribers or something yes. now yeah. especially yeah. at that level yeah yeah, yeah. i don't i don't, I don't mind jimmy i just wish he would do a little bit more you know? Yeah, and that's the thing. There, the the best we have are people that go up to a point, 
So you know they go they'll they'll, they'll sell, they say, they will tell some truth they'll expose some things but especially for people in my world you know I mean I I'm down the rabbit holes I'm associated with the conspiracies that's a dirty word to them so yeah. you know even even if they believe it like I said Julian Assange Julian Assange doesn't want to hear about 9/11 or anything like that and that's the problem is that those are the kinds of things you have to talk about if you're ever going to expose the magnitude because you know I would tell Julian Assange this is all mm. part of why you know you're in the situation you're in. Because you know this yeah. is this is all one huge conspiracy because they're conspirators. This is how they they know no other way of doing business. This is standard operating procedure for them. They're conspirators. They conspire naturally, and so of course, if if someone releases something that you know could possibly damage their dealings or a business, they do what they did with you. And so I, I wish we give people to run, but again, they just won't. You know, Tucker Carlson on Fox News, he he does some really good stuff up to a point on certain subjects. But you try to mention anything about conspiracy now. He just, his mind. Well, they just think the, yeah, they think the election was fair. 2020 was, everything was legit. I mean, I wish that Assange was out for this whole last election cycle and everything. It would have been really yes. just a benefit to humanity because yeah. that's really how I saw him in an unbiased way, putting out information of all this kind of rule by secrecy, Jim Marsh theme, right? Where, we don't get to see a lot of the themes, a lot of a, a lot of the secret documents, a lot of the secret stuff that comes out. Maybe it was Operation Northwoods finally finally got revealed, but you know some of those documents we just that we're paying for our tax dollars, the support of our nation that our forefathers built, unfortunately don't ever get disclosed, and they were being disclosed under uh, WikiLeaks and Assange, and, and they had to take him down. I mean, he was just. He was really a potent threat and really proud, like I said at the beginning, really a public, you know, a political prisoner of a global age, really, of an international global age and really a commendable character. And it's really just a real heartbreaking, kind of a tremendous loss that he's being subjected. This is kind of like what they did to people in other countries who are trying to change things for the better is really psychological torture, imprisonment. This is a kind of thing like, you're supposed to get a constitutionally a speedy trial. They're just dragging him out. Fine, leave him in the, you know, jail for two and a half years. So anyway, that'll be my summation. So if you guys want to okay. take it from there. All right. Well, Steve, yeah. since we're going to wrap it up soon, why don't you, before you share some of your stuff that uh, you do with your movement related to Assange, do you have some sort of uh, conclusion or... Moving forward, you know, what's your if there's if there's anybody who who's listening to this who's any kind of you know an activist or anything like that, I I would say that all activism hinges on our ability to communicate our message to people who don't already agree with us or who may not know uh, as much about any issue as they should, and the only way that can happen is with a free press the only way we get to continue to have a free press is if we don't set the the precedents on the table by extraditing julian assange and charging him under the espionage act and the computer fraud and abuse act we're we're at a very very critical moment not just in american history but but in history period we're quite literally about to lose our humanity you know and and it is incumbent i believe on all free thinking people 
to to rally around the case of Julian Assange, if not the man, because what the case represents is, you know, our ability to communicate at all in a manner that isn't state approved. Perfect. Now, why don't you, since you're the last gentleman to be speaking, why don't you share with us and our listeners um, where they can find you, some of the stuff you got going on that I didn't mention. Yeah, so you can find all of my stuff at slownewsdayshow.com and then over on the Rockfin at rockfin.com slash slownewsday. I am going to be on the ground October 12th. I'll be in San Jose. My friend, the hacktivist Commander X, will be at his court appearance for a 2010 charge that the U.S. decided they needed to kidnap him from Mexico over, where he had gotten full political asylum. So he'll be he'll be in court October 12th at the Peckham Federal Building in San Jose, downtown. We will be out in front of it making a bunch of noise that weekend. I will be back up in Humboldt County. The Humboldt Health Alliance is going to be throwing a couple of anti-mandate events. So I will be there for that, both covering them and speaking at them. And I think that's I think that's it for events for like the next month. Oh, D.C., October 27th. And then for the, the next couple of days after that, we'll be back in the nation's capital making some noise for Julian Assange. Beautiful. Thank you. Don, why don't you um, share some of your stuff? Yeah, well, you can you can find me at, uh, you know, I, I write, I have a blog, and you can find my, my writing there at donaldjeffries.news. And I, I do write for Substack, and you can find that there at donaldjeffries.media. I have my sixth book is coming out uh, next month on showbiz and actually that's coming out November 1st and October next month. The paperback version of my book, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776-1963, which has a forward by the great Ron Paul, is coming out in paperback with some new information. So I hope people buy that because uh, my publishers told me after asking for basically Hidden History 3, they like this series because those, those are the only books of mine that sell well. Uh, they, they, They're great. I like, yeah, they, I like writing them. So I've been working on it feverishly. I'm up to, you know, I have 200 and some pages and it's going to have a lot of new stuff on 9-11, JFK, the Trump factor, all that stuff. They're kind of backing off now and saying, well, we're going to have to see how the paperback of this book does. So. Anybody that wants to support me, buy the paperback of Crimes and Cover-Ups. There apparently, we go, everyone. It's gonna, support it's Don. And I have the Donald Jeffrey Show that comes on every Wednesday from 68 p.m. Eastern on the Ocelli Network. It also appears on some terrestrial radio stations, probably in the middle of the night on a tape delay. Uh, and I have I Protest that's every Friday on TFR, True Frequency Radio, that's been on a little longer. That's from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern. So I have the two radio shows. So, you know, people can find me. You you. If you do a search for me, you'll find out more than you want to know, probably. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. And William, how about yourself, my friend? Yeah, I've just been trying to do some independent investigative journalism. So you can find my stuff on a broadcast, William Ramsey Investigates, the same as my website. My five books are on WilliamRamseyInvestigates.com. I've got five documentaries on Vimeo. And I uh, just I'd like to say thanks for the invite, uh, Jordan. It's great to be with you again. I'm really enjoying these conversations, and it's Me great too, to man. talk with, talk and meet with Steve and talk with Don again. So, really enjoyed Thank it. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate the kind words, and I to to all you guys, I appreciate you coming in. I mean, I'm, my show is still uh, very new, and I appreciate you guys again giving me the confidence to come on and spend some time with me. And I know you guys are all 
very busy so i uh, truly down in my heart it it means so much for me for you guys to to give me some of that time so appreciate it thank you oh yeah appreciate it man yeah so all you guys uh enjoy the rest of your evenings and you know you know i'll be in touch we'll we'll look at maybe doing kind of a a part two to this maybe we can get maybe a, a bigger bigger panel together and and see what happens but if not we'll well you know the, the world's pretty wild so we can find something else to talk about sure. i'm sure sure. <laughs> all right so Sounds you guys good. have a good night and we'll talk soon all right gentlemen all right thank all you right, take care right. thanks night, everybody thank, thank you, you. Take thanks care.